0: all right good morning we're jumping into the word if you've got a bible go grab it or open it up if you're already holding it or scroll to wherever you're scrolling, <laughs> uh, but we're, I'll tell you where we're scrolling, we're scrolling to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, so that's where you want to go. Uh, as always, this is going to be a time where I unpack the Word, I'm going to just preach through the text, I don't mean just, like it's no big deal, it's a big deal, it's God's Word, but tonight will be when we come together as the church and talk through it all, wrestle with it, and kind of really uh, spend some time in there together corporately as the church and pray and munch down some food and coffee and all that stuff love for you to come we're in tempe arizona you can hit us up online we'll tell you how to find us uh there's social media outlet we have uh, any of our social media outlets you can go to our uh, website email all that kind of stuff and we'll tell you how to uh, find us and love for you to come my voice is a little scratchy at the moment so if i sound crazy apologize but i'm working through it is the fun of video right here. It'd be easier if I was just facing the crowd, but I'm not. I'm facing that camera, so we're going to work with it. (laughs) Anyway, we've been doing this series called A Cross-Shaped Life, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 has been our theme, even though we're in 2 Corinthians, but uh, Paul wrote, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So today, uh, I'm calling this Stop Messing Around, all right? We're looking at this cross-shaped life But I'm looking at stop messing around today. I feel like that's maybe what Paul would, would say if he was using modern day language. Stop messing around to the Corinthians, he's saying. Stop it. Stop fooling. Stop fooling yourself. Stop fooling around. Stop cheating. Stop pretending like it's okay. It's time to face it. It's time to realize that you're forcing a relationship where there either isn't one or shouldn't be one. You know, and you're rejecting the one that you have. These are the things that Paul's talking about today. And I wonder if God's ever confronted you with that same thing. You know, are are you rationalizing something? I ask myself this one. Have I rationalized something, God? Is there something in my life that I've decided is okay? Or or a relationship with somebody, business or otherwise. A relationship with somebody where... Hey, it seems like it's going to be a good thing. The bad stuff will work out. It'll get better. I know it's all going to be good. It's all going to work well. Maybe even using some verses out of context. God works all things together for good. You know, it'll all be good turn good. Or, you know, it's a chance for me to be a witness. That's probably the most common one. But do you actually take that chance and be a witness? That's the real question. But the question that Paul's coming to in all of this is, is the kingdom of God advanced in that way? That's the question we got to ask our, ourselves. Is Regardless of whether it will work out, the question is, is the kingdom of God advanced in, advanced in that way? Is that how it works? So 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 6, but we're going to finish with verse 1 of chapter 7. So that's the verse I'm going to read. Uh, it says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is awesome. Thank you for the privilege of uh, reading it and teaching it again and again. I pray, Lord, that uh, it is something that impacts my life, something that I hear first, and that guides uh, me and changes me before I try to encourage it to change anyone else. But it is your word. And it always has the power to do that. God, I pray that you would keep it your word. Never let me take it from you. You'd be glorified in what's said. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Put down the fidget tool there. So, most of you probably know, but besides being the pastor of Salt River Community Church, I'm also coach for a local high school football team. I love coaching. I love football. Football is amazing. I love the sport. It is powerful it's aggressive it's uh, kind of violent yes i know but there's this skill and strength that come into it and a strategy that is really complex and uh if you're like well i don't really get football that just proves my point it is a complex strategy you have You know, 22 players on the field, 11 on each side of the ball. You have all these dozens and dozens of players on the sideline that are ready to come in at any moment's time. So whether they're on the field or off the field, they all know the strategy. They all come into the game with the same plan on each side of the ball to try to win the game. There's hundreds of plays that are at their disposal. And besides the plays, there's adjustments to those plays that can make them look different or run different. There's calls. For those plays, there's code names for those plays, there's signs, hand signs for those plays, sometimes there's signs held up for those plays, they know them all. We, on our team, we have a quarterback, young, uh, dude who is awesome, brilliant kid, we're really lucky to have him, great passer and, uh, just super smart. And because of that, we're running a really fast offense and he stays on the field and pretty much controls the game from the field so we he'll look to the sideline he'll get a play from those hand signals and whatnot that comes in he will yell out the code to the players on the field and at the same time in a matter of a second or two he'll look at the defense and decide is that the best play to beat what the defense is trying to do and then if it's not he'll adjust it or he'll say something or he'll move somebody somewhere and they all know where they need to move and everybody's ready and tense and waiting for that split second syllable of go and that moment that happens there's uh 22 players pouring out a hundred percent of all of their strength and effort strength that's been built from hours beforehand of training and preparation and for a matter of seconds all of them are interlocked with everything they've got against their opponent and then after a few seconds, it resets, and within a minute, it will do it again. we will have done it again with uncountable variations, and then again, and then again within less than a minute, over and over. Now, Molly, my wife, uh, she coaches softball at the same high school girls, and they have a ball in their sport. They have a field in their sport. They're athletes, too, in their sport, but the ball is different. The system is different. The field itself is different. you know the The strategy's different. The rules are different. The contact level is definitely different. <laughs> but what if I took what if I took one of Molly's players let's say I take her star player, whoever that is her best player excuse me and i and I put the put her on the football field as a linebacker in the defense on Friday like she don't need to train. We just bring her in. This week, on Friday, we're going to throw her in. She's going to be, uh, because she's the best player, right? She's their best player. So we make her the linebacker, or or let's put her on offense. Make her the running back. Is she going to know where to stand? Does she know what the offense means, where they go, what they do? Is she going to know how to run? Does she know what a running back is, what they do? Does she know the plays? Uh, let's make her the quarterback, actually. She's their best player, right? So let's make her the quarterback. Is she going to be able to look at the sideline and see all those hand signals and get those calls? Is she going to be able to read the defense and do all those? Listen, that team is never going to (laughs) win. You know, they're never going to win. They don't have any chance of winning, not because it's a girl. That's got nothing to do with it, not because she's just the most evil person there is. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It's because she's a softball player and has no place being joined to a football team that's not her where she's supposed to be and sometimes we think that loving our enemies includes becoming loyal to them and partnering with them joining them with our life decisions but rather than joining them we should be an example for unbelievers to find hope and salvation by how we live differently and love honestly We should be different so that they look at us and say, man, I need that. I want the hope and salvation that they have, and they see how we live and how we love honestly. So our outline is real quick and easy. Be loyal, be separate, be pure. Straight to the point. Be loyal, be separate, be pure. Stop messing around. Be loyal, be separate, be pure. All right? So be loyal, first of all, verse 11, chapter 6. He says, we've spoken freely to you corinthians our heart is wide open that means it's enlarged towards you um you can feel the weight of paul's words if you look here he's not intentionally writing the bible i mean god is going to ordain that it's his word no doubt but that's not what paul's doing he's writing a letter at the moment he's not writing a theological textbook for seminaries He's, he's, he's writing a letter and he's pouring his heart out he's using that term corinthians there it's like you know me telling hey molly i love you it's different than saying love you mo you know it it means more when it's spoken that way and him using that name is expressing how much he loves him. but he's also a little bit hurt you can see that he's saying our mouth is open to you our heart is wide open to you we're speaking honestly and openly with you because we love you deeply but look what he says in verse 12 you are not restricted by us but you are restricting in your own affections in return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts to us also. The CSB translates this really well, really clear. In verse 12, this is the way they word it. We're not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak as to my children. As a proper response, open your heart to us. That's so well Well, translated, it's easy to see that Paul's speaking from the position of a father here, and he's loving and loyal to his children, and he wants them to be the same to him. You know, he's just listed, we've talked about it over the past couple of weeks throughout chapter 6, all of these suffering and struggles that he's endured for them, and he wants them to see the truth that he loves them, but they're linking their affections to somebody else. Someone who doesn't follow God and regardless of how similar they may look and what they may claim, they are not him and they are not loyal to God. Listen, if you've ever raised a kid, at some point you face this, especially if you've raised a girl, and maybe I'm saying that because I, I raise a girl. But speaking as a father, there comes an age where the desire in her heart kind of drifts or turns uh, from her love for you as father to the love of a boy. Now I know that's natural, and at some point that's a good thing because that boy is her becomes her husband. Uh, But if that boy is not spiritually and emotionally safe for her, if that if that boy is clearly headed in a destructive direction, then your heart breaks for your daughter. You know, for her to love, for her love, excuse me, to return to you to let go of him and let her love return to you and you, your love becomes broad. It becomes wide because you want her to, to be drawn to come back into you. And then the bigger problem is that she might not only be drawn from you, but be drawn from God as she's following this guy. So Paul would say, be loyal, be loyal, and then be separate, be separate. Look at verse 14. Probably some familiar language here. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's an Old Testament word frequently used of Satan. But he says, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Most times you hear this passage, you really only ever hear that first little sentence. uh, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's typically applied to missionary dating. Like, I'm a Christian who's going to date an unbeliever that I really like, but I figure if I date them, they'll really like me, and then they'll become a Christian, which is silly. But either way, let's keep this in context. There's a whole lot more. That might be true, that it's wrong. But there's a whole lot more being said here than just talking about dating relationships. The unequally yoked is actually a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, Leviticus as well, but in particularly particular deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 10 but let me read 9 10 and 11 here uh moses wrote you shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed this is god speaking his law lest the whole yield be forfeited the crop that you've sown and the yield of the vineyard verse 10 this is the one that applies to being unequally yoked he said you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together yoked together you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So there's these two kinds of seed, these two kinds of animals, these two kinds of fabrics. The practical reasons for him saying this could be argued. We could talk through, uh, you know, they won't work the same or whatever. For instance, a, a donkey doesn't have the same force, strength, and focus that an ox has. And if you put them together in a yoke, you know, you're going to maybe be all over the place. We, we could talk about that, but that's not the point. The point was that the Israelites were to be different from the people around them. They were supposed to be set apart. No matter what anybody else does, they are set apart. They have one seed. They have one type of animal pulling their uh, cart. They have one fabric. They have one God that they followed. And that was so that... the. They may be seen as being different and they're God also, so that the people around them would see them as different. Everything in the Bible is that way for those who follow God. Everything from start to finish is that way. All of us are called to be other, all of us are called to be holy, all of us are called to be different to stand out to be a light in the darkness you know what i'm saying a great example is the law the old testament law the laws of moses um or that's how they're called the laws of moses actually the laws of god but moses recorded them anyway in those laws there's all kinds of things like uh the festivals that they were supposed to keep, the behaviors they were supposed to have, the the foods they weren't supposed to eat or they were supposed to stay away from. All those things were to separate them so they were different than everybody else. They were supposed to be visual evidence that their identity was with the one God and not the many gods that everybody else worshipped. And that was so that the others who did worship the foreign other gods, would see their God and see them being different and be convicted and compelled to know him. And we're no different than the Israelites in that sense. We're no different in the fact that we are being charged to live holy, to live set apart and for the exact same reason. But we don't do that. Now we got a better way. Evangelism for us looks differently. We, we don't want to be opposite. We want to blend in. We can do a lot better with sharing the the gospel with sharing the truth if we blend in. That's what that's what we think. We become less offensive. So instead of being modest, we wear super revealing clothing. You know, we, we instead of being uh, guarded in our tongue, we we cuss and we spit out cuss words and things like that. You know, we, we're not trying to be offensive. We you know, we're we're trying to blend in a little bit. We're not going to say the real bad ones. We hang out in places we know we're not supposed to. Yeah, I'm here, you know, to be a be a witness. But are you? Is that what you're doing? We endorse things that aren't biblical, but they're praised in society, or they're praised in social media and places like that, and we endorse them, even though they're not biblical. I'm just saying, and, and it's all because we want to be relevant. We want to be inviting. We want to be approachable. We want to be understanding. We don't want to be offensive at all in any way, but that's not what Paul, that's not what the Word of God says. You know, as a coach, sometimes other coaches will tell me uh, they're sorry when they cuss in, in my presence. If they're close to me and they get upset about or angry or something, they say, cuss from my, say, sorry, coach, you know, in my direction. You know, why? Because even the lost world has a standard they hold for christians they know i'm a christian they know i'm a pastor so they have a standard they hold for me and pitiful me my weak response is usually i'll be if i'm honest with you is don't worry about it it's no big deal it's usually what i end up saying because why you know i want i want them to be cool i want to be cool with the situation but the problem is that's me trying to sound more like them rather than accepting the standard that they already hold me to. They're already holding me to a standard. And instead, I'm trying to lower myself down and say, no, I want to be like you because I don't want to upset you. I love what Ironside wrote. He said, the world expects a Christian to walk in separation from it. But it will do what it can to get the Christian to lower his standard and then always despises him when he does. Man, isn't that the truth? Paul doesn't mean here that we're supposed to avoid unbelievers. We don't have nothing to do with them, stay away from them. Jesus did, obviously, spend time with unbelievers and and that kind of thing. And he sent us out as sheep among among wolves. So, obviously, we're not supposed to be totally apart from them in every way. In fact, he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5.10, I'm not going to go to it. You can look it up in your own time, but that they were supposed to be Uh, among these people. It's not about that. It's not about complete avoidance. It's about yoking. It's about partnership. It's about fellowship, accord, agreement. It's about trying to grow together towards a mutual agreed goal. What could go wrong with that? What's so bad about that? What could go wrong? Ask yourself that. Think about it. What could go wrong with that? What might happen that would make it a poor decision to get into business or make some kind of major investment with an unbeliever? What what could possibly happen? Or or get into a marriage with an unbeliever. What could possibly happen that 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 would be a bad decision? Well, I could come up with a lot of things, but uh, a very close friend of mine, Cody Richardson, said this the other day, and it's awesome. If no other reason, this one is maybe the best. He said, because you're out here perceivably affirming people's false gods. Man, that's good. You're perceivably affirming people's false gods convicting to me too what do you think's more effective strategy think about this a minute for the devil what do you think some more ex- effective strategy for him to just keep killing christians and making more and more martyrs for the church to grow on or encouraging the church us to embrace and just love everybody just be okay with everybody even the sinful ones let's just love them up let's just blend right in with them uh to the point that that's gone on, really, to a point that some so-called Christian religions, like Mormons, just saying, have come to a place where they would even say that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Even though Paul just said what businesses Jesus, Jesus and the devil have together. They're not brothers. That's not true. Jesus said, the world will hate you because of me. Totally different scenario. Hate you because of me. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Jesus said, I would be splitting, dividing families, you know, fathers from sons. He would divide, not unifying partnerships and making great fellowship agreements between. That's not what he said. And why not? Why Why not? Why is that going to happen the opposite way? Well, listen, it's not complicated. Think about it. Excuse me, our desires in life, our desires in life, our passions are for success, for money, for home and cars and retirement, for companionship, for fame, for sex, for family, big family, whatever. Some of those things might be good in their own right, and some of those things might actually happen, but Jesus' very first demand on us when we come to Him as believers, when we become believers, what's the very first thing he calls us to do. It's not go make disciples. That is yes, but that's not number one. You know what number one is? To die to all of that. All of those desires that you got to do all of those things, they're dead. Die to all of that. That's number one. And then, yes, number two is not just to go make disciples, but to make it the goal of your life to make disciples of all nations to the point that You would embrace becoming a martyr if it were to happen. That's it. Those two things, that's all. Listen, even Christians fail horribly at this. Even Christians fail horribly at this. So if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, just listen. What could possibly make you think? What could possibly make you think that someone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to partner with you in that direction? That's not going to happen. It's, you're, you're fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. Let me put it like this. Let me, let me put it like. Let me keep, make it real, real. Hell is reality. Hell is real. Listen to me. Hell is real. Do you believe that? Do you know somebody that's probably headed there? Do you know somebody that that you're partnered with in some way that's headed there? Hell is real. Do you know somebody that's headed there? Love means being honest. Love means confrontation. Not hugging it out and partnership and, hey, it's just, no, no, no. It means calling it out what it is. Uh, I've been to Ukraine several times, but... uh, some, some years ago, I went with a, a good friend of mine, Reggie Lizenby, at the time, well, well, he still is, uh, does mission work in, uh, Israel among Jewish people. And so, uh, at this time, though, we were in Ukraine, and, uh, he and I and a couple of other men went into a synagogue, just found one there, went in, sat down, we were talking to people. Uh, you know, some of the people that were in there. And the rabbi came, and he sat down, and, and it was honestly kind of tense. It was clear we were American. It was clear we were Christian and uh so it it was uh you know we were talking but there was a sense of tension in the room and we were kind of constantly wondering if they were going to throw us out or what was going to happen they entertained some conversation this rabbi did with us for a bit uh but again it was tense and then at some point just kind of randomly in the conversation i'll never forget this reggie turns around and points at that rabbi who's sitting beside him just points at him and says rabbi Elohim, talking about God, Elohim will hold you responsible for these souls, for every, talking about the room and everyone who was one of his followers in that synagogue, hold you responsible. And I'm like, and the rabbi started shaking his fist a little bit. No, no, no. And But Reggie said, wait, wait, wait. And he said, Elohim repeated himself. Elohim will hold you responsible for all of their souls. Man, It got quiet for what seemed like 10 minutes. You couldn't hear a word, but it was only seconds. And I'm thinking, this man is fixing to come at us. We're about to get thrown out. And Reggie has this big camera around his neck. And so after a couple of seconds of silence, he goes, hey, Rabbi, can we get a picture? (laughs) And then it, it just, sure. And we all stood up, and we all took a picture together, and then we left. And I thought, man, how good was that? Like, he spoke the truth. He spoke it offensively, because I'm sure it was, and abrasively, but honestly. But it ended with a loving moment of we all got our arms around each other taking a picture together. One more thing here. Paul's emphasizing polar opposites, by the way. The words he's using, light and dark, righteous and unrighteous, believer and unbeliever. One cancels out the other. There's no coexisting here in that sense. There's no, they're both cool. One's canceling one out. And the point's simple. There's no being in the middle. There's no joined up in the middle here. There's no, you know, just messing around, man. I'm just messing around. I'm, it's just flirting. It's just flirting a little bit. It's just business, man. It's only business. No, it's all or none, Paul would say. So then Paul makes it super personal in verse 16. He says, what agreement... Coming to the same judgment is what that means. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He says that's who we are. We're the temple. Though it's true that all believers have the Holy Spirit in that sense, the we here, it's plural and temple is singular. We collectively as believers are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, Paul said, Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple singular and that God's Spirit dwells in you plural. So in other words, when when people come to you, when people come to you, who you, me as a believer who represents the whole, just like they would have come to the temple in Jerusalem, they shouldn't see any idols in you, any idols on you. They shouldn't see you partnered with or in agreement with any idols or foreign gods, they should only see Jesus. That's it. And listen, if that's not an accurate description of your temple, if that's not an accurate description of your temple, hey, it's time to clean house, man. That's just the truth of it. It's time to clean the house. Jesus did, did it violently when he cleaned the house. It should be visible evidence that there's something in you that's not only different, but life-altering. There should be visible evidence since something in you is life-altering. And that if that's the case, it's only going to produce one of two responses. People are either going to be offended or they're going to repent. That's it. They're either going to be offended or they're going to repent when they see that. But if look, if there's no visible difference, then why call anybody to change? If we're all looking the same and there's no reason for anybody repenting there, there's no reason for that you listen if you're not going in a different direction why are you asking somebody else to just saying if you're not going in a different direction why are you asking somebody else to and then paul points them back to god's word in order to make his point look at verse 16 as it carries on here he says and god said god has said I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Excuse me. Based on these words, And these are coming from a few Old Testament texts, not just one, but a few. If we're looking for open arms from God, welcoming open arms from God, we better not have our arms wrapped around something unclean. That's what he's saying. We need to come out from that. If we're looking for God to have open arms to us, we better not have our arms wrapped around something unclean. It's because he is among us already within us. He walks with us that we're supposed to be separate and holy. See what he's saying? He says, therefore, go out from them. Because he's already made his dwelling among us, we're supposed to do that. And if we live that way, we'll be in a welcoming relationship with him. That's what it says. Well, what does that mean? Listen, as believers, God is already and always will be our father. That is who we are. We have that certainty. He is now and will always be our father. We are his children. Uh, the word is crystal clear on that, but the difference is between fatherhood and being as a father. It's like if my daughter chose to run away from me, chose to bolt off and do her own thing, ignore everything that I warn her about and do whatever she wants, uh, I'll still be her father. I'll still be her father, but I would not be as a father to her, because she's not listening to anything I say. She's not doing anything I say. We have no relationship in that way. Plus, she would still be my daughter, but she would not be as a daughter to me because that relationship is messed up. Our biology holds us together, sure, but our relationship is all kinds of screwed up. It's not what it was designed to be. That's what he's saying. Be loyal, be separate, and then be pure. Verse 1, chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Those promises he's talking about were listed in chapter 6. I'm not going to go back through them, but it's multiple promises he's talked about throughout chapter 6. But notice Paul says that we have them. Since we have them, he says. We already have them. They already belong to believers. His point's not that we need to work towards perfection so that we can be saved and get these promises. He's saying we already have the promise of salvation. We already have salvation. So, live like it. That's what he's saying. He is our father already, so let's live like his children. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to be separate from the world, to be holy, to be set apart. How we live matters. How we live matters. And when we choose, listen, someone or something else, it damages our relationship with him. It damages our witness and our opportunity for others to see him through us. And in the process, it starts to make us feel like we're far from him. It starts to make us feel removed and start to feel sorrowful. And we start to feel guilty and we start to feel dark and maybe even depressed. Our heart starts to get heavy. But listen, he will never leave us or forsake us. So, as Paul says, Let us cleanse ourselves of everything that puts that separation between us and him. Let's get rid of it. I love Spurgeon said this. He said, our eyes must not spare, nor must our hearts pity one pet sin. Don't hold on to one little sin. I don't care if it's a person, not one pet sin. Get rid of them all. And don't let your eye be sad about it. Don't let your heart have pity over it. Get rid of them all. Uh, Paul says that defilement is in two areas, in the body, singular, and in the spirit, singular. It's personal. It's not the church as a whole this time. It's an individual, personal, whole thing. He calls us to cleanse ourselves personally. And in doing so, he says it brings holiness to completion. And that language there is a process. It's not an instant result like a math problem. Cleanse, bringing here, those are, are, are present active words. It's an ongoing process that's occurring. And it's led by, Paul says, the fear of God. He mentioned that before. Here it is again, the fear of God. And that's a a force here that helps us pursue holiness. It's a good thing. It's a healthy fear of God. Basically, it's going beyond what would Jesus do? To what would Jesus hold me accountable for? Think about that one. From what would Jesus do to what will he hold me accountable for? So let me close out with this. Let's be real practical for a few minutes, okay? Let's, let's be real practical for a few minutes. Jesus himself said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. So holding that in mind, how do we reach and lead anybody to Jesus if we don't love them? Well, first of all, we're not talking about love here at all. That's not the case. Jesus said that we're supposed to love our enemies. Jesus loved his enemies to the point that he died for them. So nobody's saying don't love them. But Jesus' expression of love for them was that he lived counterculture to them. And he was honest about, their, about sin and hell, even to the point of losing his own life over it. That's what it means to love. We can serve them. It's another thing we can do. Jesus washed Judas' feet, you know, knowing what Judas was going to do. Jesus healed tons of people that never even looked back to thank him. And we can serve them. But we serve them, we can love them. But if we don't look differently than them, if we don't preach the whole truth honestly, then we're really not offering them anything. We're giving them no opportunity at what is most key in salvation. And that is confessing their sin and repenting. So, what if if you would say, man, I got no choice though. I got no choice. You don't know my situation. I got no choice. Yes, you do. That's a lie. I don't care what it is. You have a choice, number one. You might say, well, what if I'm already in this situation? I'm, I'm already there. I'm already in this situation already. I'm already in it. Well, let's look at the things here. If it's business and you're already in it, well, first, it's not about who you work for. It's not about who you buy from. It's not about who you rent or lease from. It's about who you are partnered with, who you have an accord with to accomplish something. So be, be frank with you. Do you need to make a change? Was that something you need to change? Do you think God would honor it if you did? I know it would be hard. What kind of faith is it going to take for you to do that? Or is it easier just to rationalize an explanation? You know, this is what God really meant was, you know, dot, dot, dot. I'm just saying. What if I'm already in the situation? What if I'm in a relationship already? What if I'm already in a relationship? Well, are you in fellowship? Are you in agreement in that relationship, celebrating the same things, which would be Jesus? Well, if not, then where does that leave your relationship heading? One, if you're not heading towards Jesus... You're either being dragged away from him or you're going one way and the other's not. So you need to, as Paul says, God speaking, you need to go out from their midst. Be separate from them. Touch no unclean thing. That's what he said. And guess what? Being set apart, your light might be what draws them out of the dark. It might be your decision to do that, your light that draws them out of the dark. But look, if they look at you and say, okay, well, I'm out, and they leave you, then guess what? Your faithfulness to the light has only cost you what's going to remain in the dark anyway. Now listen, that's not arrogance, it's not pride, it's just loving God above all else. It's loving God and remaining loyal to Him in how we live, while also loving our enemies enough to tell them the truth and show it to them in the way that we live. If you're in marriage already, that's another story. The previous things that I've sitting here talking about, they're true. The response though has to be more calculated divorce is not automatic so if you reach out to me you can email me you can call if you want to talk about it if that's your situation i'll give you a quick verse first peter 3 1 uh, he says wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct so your life can be an example that might lead them. I would flip that, say the same husband, wife, race, work the other way too. But that's a unique situation, and that would be something, definitely hit me up. We can talk about it if if you want. Um, listen, if you don't know Jesus, you got to start there. If you don't know Jesus, that's that's step one. Give your life to him. Tell him today you know that you are a sinner. Tell him today you trust that he is who he says he is, that he went to that cross and he died for your sins. Give your life to him. There is hope that I can't explain to you. There's forgiveness that I can't explain to you that comes from having that relationship with him. And then go after him with everything you got. Hit us up. We'll help you make that journey. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for the privilege of preaching it and sharing it. Look forward to being with our group tonight and talking it through. We love you and ask these things all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.